Welcome back to BTA Charity Voices Podcast with me, Anne Hughes, and I'm delighted this week to welcome the Chief Operating Officer of Independent Living Fund Scotland, Harvey Tilly. Harvey, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It's a pleasure, Anne. I'm really looking forward to having a bit of a chat. So thank you very much and uh, looking forward to speaking. Yeah, great. And actually, as I do, I was having a wee Google of you earlier, Harvey, and you actually started out in the Royal Irish Regiment. So your career didn't necessarily start where I might have thought it would have. So tell us, how did you get from there into the third sector? Okay, well, so uh, I'd always wanted to, ever since I was sort of a little boy, wanted to join the, the you know the armed services. Uh, I was lucky enough to go to Sandhurst, get commissioned into uh, the Royal Irish Regiment, and was very lucky to serve. Uh, you know, around the world with some amazing people, having some amazing experiences. Uh, as my sort of time came to a close, I think you sort of, I think most of us know when we instinctively, when our sort of time is coming to an end yeah. in that sort of chapter of our life. And and after I'd been there for about sort of uh, about sort of six or seven years, I realised that my time was coming to an end. Uh, obviously, this was pre sort of Afghanistan, pre Iraq, and you know, I'd served in Northern Ireland, I'd served in Bosnia, Kosovo. Sierra Leone and I just thought you know I had a good sort of good run and I say met fantastic people and then I was thinking what next and I suppose it was I I would say a a, a sort of juncture in my life I was about sort of 28 29 uh, I think at the time I wasn't really exactly sure what I what I wanted to do but I knew what I I didn't want to do and, and, and I was really clear that having being a public servant, you know, I think there's something intrinsically honourable about being a public servant, whether it's the military, whether it's the voluntary sector, whether it's uh, the public sector. And I thought, you know, uh, that I didn't really want to go into a big commercial environment to, to make money for a shareholder. And uh, look, I've got nothing sort of, uh, you know, uh, ideologically wrong with that. Uh, you know, it's all about choices. But for me, that just wasn't something that motivated me. I needed to work with something, which is why I enjoy the military so much, with a very clear compelling purpose, vision, mission, uh, something that I found, you know, uniquely honourable. So when I was when I was thinking about my next job, uh, it was, uh, you know, I'd left, uh, I, I met my then, well, my now wife, in, in, is an Irish woman in Sierra Leone. She was just moving back to the UK. What we were thinking about, I was thinking about getting a proper sort of grown-up job and I, I was thinking about what that job looks like. And I applied for uh, a number of roles and, and I, I, I got drawn to the voluntary sector and I, you know, people call it third sector. I don't really like the term third. Mm-hmm. It implies you're third. Yeah. You know, you're third in the in in the race. I think the voluntary sector is 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 something I feel much more comfortable with. So I, I started applying for jobs, and I was really lucky to land this fascinating role, which was a manager in in something that was called Business Action on Homelessness, which is part of business in the community, which is one of the uh, Prince Wales's charities, and really it's around corporate social responsibility. I'd say it's a really steep learning curve. I knew nothing about the really charity sector. What what I liked about it, and the reason why the hook for me, uh, it had a program for homeless veterans called Project Compass Mm, in in its sort portfolio, alongside working with a number of programs. And you were working with FTSE 100s, regional, big regional organisations. So I love the mix of where where, uh, sort of society where you have public, private and voluntary, yeah. uh, 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 all working together for a social cause. I really liked it. And I, you know, I really got the sort of, uh, I found it interesting. Uh, it met loads, again, met loads of interesting people. And then I suppose that's really set me on my path in the voluntary sector 
or, or so near that point. And then I moved on from that job into uh, a more regional-based charity called Training for Life. Yep. And what's Training for Life? They use things like social enterprise as a vehicle to get people back into work. Uh, you know, everyone from, uh, you know, refugees, people uh, who had left school care experience, folk, uh, disabled folk, uh, you know, homelessness. And it was mainly based in London, but it had some uh, outreach outside London. And, uh, you know, again, I joined there as the ops director and my job was to run all the sort of the programs and run mm-hmm. the sort of run the, run the operations for the organisation. I worked with these amazing individuals, uh, one called Pat Hakin, who was this innovator or educationalist innovator, someone who is, you know, very well, well known. Gordon Silva, who was chief executive, who was this uh, proper entrepreneur and, and, and with all the classic entrepreneurial traits, so a person that could go into a room and light it up very quickly. And so I was very lucky to work alongside some fantastic people. And then I suppose for me, that was when I, I started embedding my sort of learning. And at the time, I uh, then started uh, my sort of formal education in that world, which was I did a master's in voluntary administration, which yes. is like an MBA for the voluntary sector. And I did that in London South Bank, uh, you know, learning the sort of, I suppose, a lot of the theory. Uh, fortunately, it was a, a part time. It was a, a day release. So I could sort of do it with my family and my job. And then after that, an opportunity that came up uh, as a consequence of probably my previous two jobs, which was uh, working for the Royal British Legion yeah. uh, to head up their welfare services. And it was a time that about 2007, the Royal British Legion were wanting to expand uh, their support. They were supporting quite relatively low numbers for the community. There was a seminal piece of research that was done. And off the back of that, it was a whole set of services were designed to meet those needs of the community. And I so came in to set up uh, pretty much all of those services. Everything from uh, uh, coronial advice for people that are going through the sort of coronial process, who unfortunately, whether the family members have been lost in the service of the country, uh, set up the largest independent handy van scheme across the UK, wow. uh, the largest benefits and money advice service of the Assistance Advice Bureau, war pensions and compensation scheme, a grant scheme. So it was a really sort of exciting time. And we and during that period, and I worked in the Legion for about sort of six, six, seven years, uh, we sort of went from supporting around 20,000 people to about 60,000 people. Wow, wow. Uh, including, you know, setting up offices in Malaga in Spain because there's a large community in Spain and there, and also a, a centre in Germany as well. So and and alongside all of that role, I was responsible for about three thousand volunteers. So it was a really amazing job. Uh, it sort of it ticked all of my own motivation. It aligned with my sort of I'm a veteran. It aligned with uh, supporting that community and the wider community, uh, working alongside other uh, community sector uh, partners. My job was a nice one where I didn't have to go and do fundraising, and I don't mean fundraising not a nice job. But, I, but my job was to spend the money that the fundraisers were doing. So it was a very easy job yeah. in so far as, you know, uh, had really talented people around us. I think then I left the British Legion. I did a short spell with another military char- char- charity uh, as a director of client service, which is Safra Forces Help. And that really was, a, again, it was a sort of, I felt it was time for me to change out of the veteran space into a, the wider charitable space, actually. Yeah. And at the same time, my wife got a job up in Scotland. We were living in Whitstable in Kent at the time. And so we moved Lock, Stock and Barrel up to uh, Scotland. Uh, and, uh, and I suppose 
Uh, I commuted back down south. My my job at the time was very much centred around London. I had to be in London and, you know, I had two young children at the time. My wife had a very senior role as a regulator and I think we realised that actually it wasn't working for us as a family. And yeah. I would also say I didn't really understand Scotland. Uh, it, you know, it's a very unique sort of place in, in the wider sort of United Kingdom. And so I th- I, I, after about nine months of travelling down south, you know, uh, you know, on a weekly commute, which which wasn't working for us, I decided to sort of, uh, you know, give that up and, and really just do a bit of consultancy work mm-hmm. uh, and, and really get to learn and love, you know, Scotland and, and, and how it works. And then during that period, sort of apply for jobs, uh, fitted my profile, my expertise, my aspirations. And I did that for about 18 months. And I would say I was, I was sort of a stay-at-home dad during that period. So I was doing a bit of consultancy, but, you know, looking after family and a you know, for me, it, it sort of really set me up in terms of thinking about, you know, uh, flexible working, about mm. uh, how I would want my next job to be, what worked for me as my and my family, what worked for, you know, hopefully I would have a position of influence in the organisation that, you know, could then make it hopefully work for for the rest of the organisation. And it was at that time that uh, I, I came first came actually in, in contact with Bruce Tate and I applied for a job through Independent Living Fund Scotland. Uh, and uh, uh, there were two jobs. One was the sort of like the initial setup phase, which uh, I didn't get. And then I reapplied for the another job in the ILF, which was like the permanent role of setting up this public body. And I and I was really fortunate and got the job. Mm-hmm. And you know, for you know, and I'll come a bit more on about that. But you know, it was setting up a public body. And what's ILF Scotland Independent Living Fund is uh, what used to be a UK wide public body that was set up in 1988. Really, it was the first part of the direct payments mm-hmm. to disabled people. It was set up during a change of benefits, uh, the UK-wide one, and uh, phenomenally successful. It was a you know a truly uh, cutting-edge innovator uh, at the time. It, it was a time when you know, disabled activism was at its sort of forefront. People were moving out of big institutions into the community, and this was something that supported them to do it. And it was the first time, really, the control and the choice and the power was to the individual. So essentially it was a direct payment and it put the power in the hands of the disabled person. And that went for about uh, 20 years, uh, 20 odd years. Then the uh, uh, change of government, uh, I think it was the Cameron government, decided to have a big sweeping changes of a lot of public bodies and uh, independent living fund at the time was, you know, uh, lined up to close. At that time, there were some uh, consultations in Scotland, Northern Ireland and Wales. Uh, and, you know, Scotland decided to set their own uh, individual body up to deliver independent living fund. For uh, a time, there was about 3,200 people in, the, in in Scotland or about 3,000 people at a time in Scotland that were receiving independent living fund, which is essentially it's an award that uh, sits alongside sort of statutory support. So though it's government funded, we class as a discretionary payment, not a statutory benefit. And what does it do? It essentially gives disabled people choice, control and dignity. It gives them the choice to, whereas, uh, and I'll sort of paraphrase what disabled people talk about, uh, independent living fund, uh, and uh, local authorities are there to provide the sort of statutory support, which in, in, in their own words is sort of bed breakfast and get you out of bed, get you washed, you know, support you to get washed, support you to get fed if you need that, 
And in the past, it used to be to help you, you know, link you with your community. I think as budgets have got tighter, that uh, dis- sort of discretionary within those rewards has got less and less. And so ILF sits alongside that to, or complements that to provide people with choice and control. So to be part of their community, to employ their own staff, to do the things that we collectively take for granted. And, and so alongside setting up the public body, we also uh, set up a new scheme for young 16 to 26-year-olds, uh, which is a grant scheme for uh, young disabled folk uh, to help them transition between uh, you know, uh, uh, school and, uh, and sort of adult life. And uh, we've now had about, so I think, uh, about 8,000 applications. I think we've awarded £10 million through that scheme. And we support on average about sort of 6,000 people a year. Uh, and my job, what's my job in that? And, and that's probably a, one of the questions is, I'm there to run all the operations. I'm the chief operating officer, responsible for IT, uh, health and safety, HR, and essentially deputising for the chief executive when there are other things on uh, that's taking him away. So, uh, and I feel very fortunate to, uh, to, to be in this, in this job. Uh-huh. That was a whistle-stop tour of your career, wasn't it? But the, at the very start, you were talking about how when you were leaving the armed forces, you instinctively knew it was time. And I think there's something interesting about that, even when you move through your career as well. See, as you, you listed us, those various roles there, was that the same? Maybe with the, not the same gravitas of leaving the army, I understand that. <laughs> but was it the same that it was an instinctive thing, it's time to move on now? Sometimes it was, uh, you know, I think all the jobs I have to do, I think for me, they have to have a social purpose. There, to, there has to be a, an element where you're serving your community. And I think that's really important for me to motivate me. I think, uh, you know, certainly uh, a couple of jobs were more opportunity. I didn't instinctively, I was very happy where I was at the time. Mm. But just this, these amazing jobs that, that sort of built on everything I'd done in the past have come up. I suppose really the only time that other instinctively that I knew it was time to move on was probably the Royal British Legion. I thought, you know, it was time for me to sort of move from that. Yeah. Uh, and I wasn't sure what that was going to look like in terms of, but I thought it would be around the sort of, interestingly, around the charitable sector at the time. Mm-hmm. And I've happened to end up in the public sector, but I, but, I, but there's lots of similarities in yeah. what job we do now with, with the voluntary sector. One thing I didn't say when I was sort of chatting was, Sort of hand railing all of my sort of work career. I've also been a trustee now for, oh, I think 15, 16 years. Really? And, and I started with a, a small voluntary sector organisation based in Hoxton in London that worked with a community called H10. I, uh, I was the vice chair of that. I then moved on to be a, a trustee of something called the Union Jack Club, which is a, a services, it's for service and ex services. It's a hotel in London. Uh, uh, for about 300 room hotel with sort of venue and conferencing space and I was a trustee of that for about six years and most recently I've been a for the last, last five six years I've been a charity trustee of uh, Queen Mary Hampton Trust which is a grant maker and mm-hmm. so alongside my I suppose my work I've also been a trustee and I've also been a volunteer you know I've done for volunteering poppy collection and, and, and other such things yeah. you know uh, fundraising challenges I suppose so I've had a very strong uh, part of my career has been or my my life has been uh, in tune with the voluntary sector. Yeah and I mean when I reflect on all of the stuff I do and I I do a lot of stuff around personal development and things like that so I'm maybe falling out of this podcast and into something else slightly but do you feel as if 
you have been able to fulfil your purpose. You know, like quite often in that self-development sort of arena, we're talking about what is your purpose? Why are you here? What are you here to do? I think when we have been, because like you, my entire career, 25 years now, has been in the charity sector. I got to fulfil my purpose every day because I was always helping others, right? But I've got friends who think about their purpose and everything, but they've got jobs in organisations, so they don't feel as much as if they're fulfilling it as I do. I mean, it's a bizarre thing because you don't need to do it every day of your life, but do you feel as if it's allowed you to do that? Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, I mean, I think there's something very honourable with uh, the voluntary and public sector. And I, and I say that just my own personal opinion. And I, you know, I've got lots of friends who do great jobs in commercial organisations, but they have a very different motivation and value set, uh, uh, those organisations, than the ones that I've experienced in the wider voluntary sector and, and certainly the public sector. So, so you, you said to me, you know, do I feel that my purpose, you know, do, do I feel like I've fulfilled my, yeah, absolutely. I feel that I've not, I haven't ended my journey yet. So I haven't uh-huh. fulfilled my purpose. I think there's still, you know, quite a lot of road left for me to uh, move down. But certainly, you know, I, I don't see myself, I, I, you know, there's a, you know, so I suppose there's a sort of almost like a what's next for me. You know, I'm very happy now I left this, you know, I'm, it, it, it ticks all my boxes. And well, perhaps we'll talk a little bit more about that in future course, but uh, you know, what, I'd like to think that I spend my working career, uh, as long as that may be, and you know, I hope it's you know still got some time to run. <laughs> that I work in a, an environment where I'm, you know, supporting our society to be better, and I find that very fulfilling. So, when you reflect on that that career that we've been chatting about throughout the podcast what would you reflect that is your proudest moment of your whole career that I think is a really hard question I think you know uh, you know I'm intensely proud of my, 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 my wife my, my children and, uh, you know I like to think that I've contributed to sort of like that in some way shape or form I, sp- I suppose in terms of work I think there's probably three elements to it I'm sorry I'm not going to say my most that's all right Harvey I think probably uh, my whole military career, you know, uh, uh, getting commissioned, in, uh, uh, going to Sanders, passing out of Sanders, going to the Royal Irish Regiment, serving around the world, real highlights of working with the UN, uh, going to being the first troops in Kosovo, being in Bosnia, rebuilding schools, you know, so there's some real highlights for me there. But I suppose working with these amazing folk, uh, both, you know, in the military and also those, you know, organisations you work alongside in these fairly austere, uh, you know, environments. It's sort of, you sort of sometimes see the worst in society, but you also conversely see the best in society. I think the next one for me would have been, uh, as, as a block, would have been uh, the, the Royal British Legion. So it's creating a brand new portfolio of services, uh, support, you know, increasing the number of beneficiaries served from 20,000 to 60,000 plus. Uh, and again, that was, a, you know, that was a, a quite a long journey, a real investment. And, you know, seeing the life-changing Stuff that we were doing on a daily basis was really fulfilling. However, if you if you had to pin me, if you mm-hmm. really had to pin me down, it would probably be my time with ILF Scotland. Yeah, I think setting up uh, you know a truly exceptional public body uh, that has got incredible staff, enabling disabled people to live independently with choice, control, and dignity uh, in Scotland and in Northern Ireland. I think everything about the role, the organisation, the achievement is collective achievements. The colleagues are just awesome uh, and, and those with service being just been my career highlights. I think you know 
as a person, I professionally, you know, personally grown. And I, I suppose as a leader, I've absolutely grown in, you know, in that role uh, more than I would have ever thought was possible. Great. When you reflect on that career, and I know it's been a bit, a bit varied because we've got the military and then all the other work that you've been doing. Do you know what the best piece of advice you ever given was? There's a few that sort of yeah. spring to mind. Like I said, I've worked with some, you know, some great leaders and great mentors. Uh, I've also worked, you know, some great colleagues, uh, great staff who have got, always got sage advice. And I think, but for me, there's listening to all advice from all levels, you know, coming in and and taking and almost being like a magpie and seeing the best bits of those advice that sort of fit with you. But I suppose, I think for me, it's do a job you love for an organisation that shares your values. Work hard, be selfless, mm-hmm. be kind, be kind, uh, and your career will look after itself. I, you know, there's often people sort of think, oh, I must plan my career. But, you know, there's a bit I've planned, but most of it has been a bit unplanned. And I think where I've been most happy is where I've been most successful, uh, in, in you know, personally and professionally. I think there's, a, there's some other things that sort of are very uh, sort of uh, strike me is if you walk past something, you accept it. So... If you're walking past something that's not right and you don't pick it up at that point, then you're accepting that. You're accepting that. Uh, uh, so if you want the high standards, then it's not being you know, pedantic, but it's, but it's basically coaching, supporting people around you to, to rise to the challenge. And for me, it's about if you walk past it, you accept it. And, mm-hmm. and, and I, that sort of sticks with me for the military. And again, I think it's a sort of, again, my sort of foundation is very much sort of military life. It's something called serve to lead. And it's a motto of Sandhurst, and, and really it's about those you're responsible for. Leading are your first priority, and uh, and their interests come before yours. And I think that's me as a character. And I think for the, for also this applies for me about public service. So, you know, those that we're there to to enable and support, uh, be their best, is absolutely my you know my first priority. So it's very much around servant leadership and. And so for me, it's served to lead is, is my other bit of, you know, great career advice. Uh-huh. Excellent. Other advice I'll give to people is be yourself. You know, and if you're in an environment uh, that doesn't trust you, uh, that doesn't respect you and colleagues that don't respect you, then it's time probably for you to move on somewhere because there are organisations that absolutely will value you and will respect you yeah. and you will contribute to. Yeah, I resonate with that one so much about being yourself. I try to turn up as myself every day. Some people don't want that, other people do, and that's all good. That's all good, you know, that way. So I totally resonate with that one. When you do reflect on all those teams, and gosh, you've got, you know, you've talked about the military, you've talked about Sandhurst. Team has obviously been something that's been really vital to you. I'm sure at times in your life, like saved your life, sort of, this was a life or death situation. When you reflect on all of the teams that you've been a part of, what do you think makes a team so good? I think a shared vision. I think having a, a compelling shared vision. And I don't mean having to wordsmith that shared vision. Everyone has a, sh- a shared direction of travel, shared values. I think for me, values are yeah. the absolute glue that binds an organisation together. And when you're in an organisation that is not living its values or has not got clear values, it really jars against you. You can really feel it jarring against you. But when you have shared values, shared vision, I, I think you know you really have some of the, the ingredients to make a truly great team. I think hardworking. When I say hard working, I don't mean people working excessive hours. So that sometimes is one of the outcomes of, of that hard working, but hard working, uh, passionate. I've talked about kindness. I think being kind is really important in life. Yeah. I don't think that makes you a 
a lesser leader, a lesser person. I think being kind is absolutely fundamental in having a, a, a fair and kind society. Being bold, so mm. making those choices, the team making those choices, uh, being honest. So that's honest in all directions. So if you don't like something, being able to say that, or if you disagree with something, being able to say that. Selfless, you know, I think selflessness, uncompromising and doing the right thing probably would be my last thing. Mm. So by above all things, we always have competing things in life, but actually doing the right thing is the most important. And you instinctively know when you're doing the right thing. And I've said to my children in the past, if you have to ask yourself a question, whether it's right or not, it probably isn't. Mm. Great. Thank you so much, Harvey, for coming on the podcast, for chatting us through your career and also for all your wonderful wisdom there at the end too. My, my pleasure. Really, really enjoy it. And, you know, and, and, you know, I suppose I finish by saying, you know, I've been very fortunate to work predominantly in the public and the, the voluntary sector. And, you know, I, I feel a real strong connection uh, with, you know, uh, uh, organisations that work in that space, people that work in that space and organisations that support people to work in that space. So thank you very much for your time today. Oh, thank you, Harvey.